0: That's joinMIDI.com.
1: Only winners listen to KCAA Loma Linda, the trifecta of Southern California radio, heard on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM.
2: This episode of the House of Mystery is brought to you by Legacy Food Storage The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. LegacyFoodStorage.com
3: Fiction. Science Fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller.
0: You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver,
1: and Al Warren. Heard on KCA 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and
4: 1050 AM Palm Springs.
2: You are back in the house of mystery, and I'm Al Warren, of course, and I'm the mastermind at this psychotic place.
0: <laughs> I'm still waiting.
2: So, so I, I hear Mr. Uh, Martino in the background. Um, I am here, present. Drinking, drinking scotch already, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. a
4: professional, Al.
2: Of course not. You wait till yeah, please. It's <laughs> after an afternoon. I know you're drinking scotch already. That's how it goes. <laughs> Ah, never ends. Never ends around here, I'll tell you. Anyway, well, we'll get to your uh, latest movie review, Beatles Get Back, after the interview. And we've got a few other things to talk about, of course, and some new shows coming up. One more week of recording, and we're out of here for a couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, that'll make everyone happy. Yeah, we're going to do a (laughs) a best of for two weeks. And, of course, that'll be – actually, what it is is not the best of. It's going to be the top uh, most listened to shows. As best as we can tell, how's that? Excellent. You know, uh, five fiction and five nonfiction. So, you know, and I you look didn't forward make to it. it. You didn't make it. I didn't
4: make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you made it. You're co-host
2: on something, but your that's your show right. made number twelve or something. So, you know,
4: that's still not bad. I'll take it. <laughs> well, yeah,
2: uh, yeah. <laughs> Except for when you see the reviews on it. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. yeah. Another day. Another day. Well, we've got a, a a real murder of a show, a real death of a show today. <laughs>
4: um,
2: we've got a uh, a writer of, of mystery detectives here and stuff like that, and uh, he's doing it from his own experience. And his name is real, um, I think. Uh, <laughs> our guest, <laughs> Mr. Bruce Robert Coffin. Thank you for being here.
3: Oh, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure.
2: <laughs> I always say, wait till the <laughs> end of the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See if you're still saying it. Then I don't know; it might not. Uh, you know, might not it'd be getting his cuffing us. You know. Oh so yeah. uh, well. So this is quite the life you've had. Just looking through this now. Um, how did you get um, from from uh, being a detective sergeant into going into writing? Um, in in mysteries and like what made you jump over
3: you know really my first love was writing so it it came kind of in the other uh, direction uh for me i i had a bad experience a bad college experience with a writing professor um and it really caused me to to change course and uh law enforcement was never really my goal i don't believe until that happened so uh, i i made a departure from writing and that you know that desire to the, the young kid that wanted to be the next Stephen King—I think that was, especially if you're from Maine, where I am—that was sort of the thing you all aspire to as writers. And uh, and so I, I went out in search of something else. And um, really, I, I picked law enforcement simply because I had a relative who had been uh, a, a career police officer, and I thought I'd give that a shot. So it was really that mm-hmm. simple. And I and I came back to writing afterwards.
2: Well, that's 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 interesting. You know that. Um... That, that someone can ex- cause you to change kind of what you want it to do with your life um that much, like a, you know, college English professor and stuff like that. Right. So did you go back and, and uh, take them out later? Or-
3: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Everyone wants to know if I've had some way to get even, but actually I have, I have written kind of an evil you know, short story where there's a comeuppance for a, for a, for a creative writing <laughs> professor, but I'm sure it's all yeah. fictional. So, you know, yeah,
2: yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> strange. They never heard from him again. He left work one day and that was it. Well, you know, I, I find that interesting. Um, so you had confidence in your writing before you became a cop, so to speak. Right. But something happened and you just sort of put it aside and thought, well, I need to make a living and, and move on. And uh, But yet you bring all of your service into... You're writing, too, right, so you put a lot of yourself into this and your personal experience
3: I really do it's um you know I guess it's fortuitous in the in the scheme of things that that it worked out the way it did because I don't know what I would write about if I hadn't actually had the career I had um, you know i I didn't set out to start writing again or that I was going to write mystery. Uh, it was as simple as sitting down one day and realizing that the iPad I had just uh, got for a gift had a, had a wordpad like document on it or program on it. And I started writing, I just sat down and started writing and, um, what ultimately became the characters in this detective Byron series, uh, started to spill out. And, um, I immediately was taken with the idea of, of the written word again and, and writing fiction and something that wasn't dry and, you know, for legal purposes, but actually allowed me that the ability to be creative again, I really just sort of the bug, the bug caught again. And, And I just kept going from that actually started in 2012. And I've been doing it ever since. I
2: I guess in a way, too, if you write about things that have happened to you and kind of your experiences, I wonder if um, I I wonder if certain things when you write about them or bring them into your book, do you ever look back at some of these experiences and kind of wonder why they happened or if, 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 if it could have been different in somehow?
3: I do. I mean, I think I really tend to examine a lot of that stuff. Uh, And I, and that's really a surprise to me. You know, I think writing is like any other business. You really don't know what it is. You don't know until you've learned usually the hard way. And for me, I think I, I had the idea that as I sat down and started writing when I realized what I was going to be doing, that I would just tell, you know, entertaining tales and they would, you know, follow procedure as much as you can and still have the book interesting. And, That would be it, that I'd make things up and, you know, it would be great entertainment and it would be fun, a fun way to pass the time for me. Um, What I found as I got doing this and deeper into it is that I I began dredging up a lot of my own experiences or experiences of people I worked with. And so I think that better informs the reading, but I I think it also adds a a very emotional quotient to what I write. uh, And I never really saw that coming. I thought it would since I would be writing fiction, I'd be making all of this up, and I don't think I ever had any idea that I would draw that heavily on my own experiences to write these characters.
2: Yeah, and I, that's that's a specific point that I like to talk about with authors because I think when you do that, um, and when you actually put a book out and have it published with something like this, in a way you're kind of um, making yourself vulnerable. You're exposing some of, some of you to a lot of people that you haven't done before exactly and I think I think that takes a lot of courage I think that that in a sense some people just do it and they don't realize it but I think that at the end of the day when you put that out there you've shared something that you probably haven't shared before right and that that opens it up
3: to right. a lot of people yeah I think it does and I you know I think that was the hardest thing for me to get over you know when you're when you first start writing you you're creating characters especially your protagonist and I think you're you know, we have a tendency to all want to write that superhero and everything's great. And there's, there's no, you know, they're Teflon. And you realize if you're going to write anything that's worth reading and something where characters are identifiable to the reader and interesting, then you, you really have to incorporate that vulnerability into them. And that to do that honestly and to do it right, I think you have to draw on your own experiences. I think that's, that's the thing that brings the characters to life on the page.
2: Do you also look back and then realize that there's a subtext There's some sort of a meaning to it besides the story? Maybe you didn't intend on putting it in there, but when you look back at a book, you kind of go, wow, that sort of said something.
3: Right. Uh, You know, sometimes I do that intentionally. Sometimes I don't. Um, It's amazing, I guess, what the subconscious is capable of when you as a writer, you think you got a handle on everything that you're doing. You're trying to juggle all these, you know, making it entertaining and making it realistic and making a follow procedure. But sometimes your mind is working behind the scenes. And you don't, like you say, you don't realize until after you've written it, what you really did, what you really accomplished.
2: Whenever I talk to someone that writes in this, this particular category, or, or, um, you know, some sort of police procedure, like even nonfiction, a lot of times I talk to cops. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if does it concern you the way American society is probably the best way I can say this, but does it concern you in the way that, um, there's a lot of negativity toward policing in the last few years and, and, and the public, you know, likes to jump on, you know, policing and stuff like that without thinking. Right. Um, so, so when you actually get into writing a, a, you know, a deal like this, a book, and you've kind of got a lot of procedures, you've been a cop, you kind of know mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Do you find that you have to be careful in how you word things?
3: Um, you know, generally, I think I'm a, I'm aware of those things as I'm writing. Um, I wouldn't say they pigeonhole me, but I i am certainly aware of them as I'm structuring out a story. Um, usually, I think there's only been one book where I was at risk of going too far astray of that. And uh, my editor, uh, Nick Amflip, uh, is is aces at calling that out. And, you know, we'll discuss it and... And in fact, really, I think that was probably the book we differed the most on. And um, in the end, I took his advice and it turned out to be great, great advice. So, no, I'm aware of it, but I, you know, I think it's everything's relative. You know, I did that job for almost three decades. And I can tell you that even though it seems like, uh, you know, law enforcement in general is persona non grata at the moment with the general public or some of the general public, it's kind of had its ups and downs throughout that time. I, mean, I remember that the eighties weren't necessarily late eighties, weren't a good time to be a police officer. Um, yeah. Mid nineties, same thing happened again. It's almost like it's a 10 year cycle where either something happens or, you know, event wise, or there'll be just a, you know, a change in public opinion for whatever reason. Um,
2: yeah. You know. It's almost kind of like a parent child relationship. You know what I mean? Yes. Yep. You, you, Cause in a way you're, you're paying people to police you or to regulate us right as a society and sometimes we don't always like to be punished by our right our parents or i think it kind of goes back and forth and it's it's unfortunate because we're all just people
3: right but and no one likes to be told what to do you know it's funny i think that's it's another one of those misnomers where people think that you know if you're if you're on that side you're if you are a police officer then you don't ever feel that way And, you know, I can tell you that's not true. You know, (laughs) you spend uh, a couple weeks working a homicide case and you're at home very little during that time and you're exhausted. And then as you're trying to get home to get a few hours of shut-eye, the last thing you want behind you is the blue lights. (laughs) And they're just as as annoying and just as, you know, they make you nervous as as they do if I wasn't a police officer when it's you. So I think I get it. I think everybody gets that, you know.
4: Well, I'm sure. Well, you know, I I didn't... um work in law enforcement but i did uh, private security management for a good amount of time and uh, i think just like you i wanted to be a writer and then um i needed to work <laughs> you know originally have a career right uh, first and uh you know my dad was had done uh, security management and uh firefighting and all this stuff so i ended up going in in that direction for a bit mm-hmm. and um i'm just wondering you know Doing that type of work that writing reports, policies, policies, procedures, things like this, or you know, very matter of fact when, when you write this stuff, mm-hmm. what, where, when, why, how, all the stuff. Right. Uh, did you find any uh, difficulty in transitioning, uh, either you know, uh, going from a wanting to be a creative writer uh, into uh, you know the report writing aspect, or after so many years of law enforcement, uh, then? You know going into the uh creative writing aspect,
3: yeah without a without question um yeah, both ways uh you know, leaving the creative field part of that and and writing you know what i what I hoped was uh, at times flowery prose um and then getting the the word that you can't do that anymore, you know there's very very few adjectives, very few adverbs in uh uh what we write. Uh, as as police officers, like you say, it's just it's it's nuts and bolts. It's the law, it's dry, it's matter of fact, um, and it's really unlearning all of the things I had learned as a writer. And then um, when you finally get the chance to to untether yourself and and try to write fiction, you have to learn that all over again. You have to almost make yourself not be boring, if that's a if that's a thing, you know. And it's it's funny. I noticed other police officers I talked to that have turned to writing. Uh, attorneys that have got into writing, doctors, um, anybody that had that same kind of a profession where everything was really uh, long and boring but exact um, has to unlearn all of that and put emotion and substance back in their writing to be able to do that.
2: Well, that's what you need to do, Dave. (laughs) Sell some I'm books. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. This is how we, we're going we're gonna to find out how to do this. <laughs> I'm be successful. We're going to win here. Um, now, your new book, Within Plain Sight, yes. or newer, newer book, is yep. Detective Byron Mystery. So who is Detective Byron?
3: So John is a—during um, the series, I intentionally created what I didn't want to be as a static character. So he, he actually changes and goes on a, a, a life change as these books progress. Uh, I've, I've built in character arcs to my main characters. But John, when you meet him um, uh, in the first book, is, is really badly damaged. Uh, his personal life is in shambles. He is, in fact, battling alcoholism and in full-blown denial. Uh, But he is a great uh, detective sergeant, he's great with his people, and he is a tenacious investigator. Um, So those being his good points, and I wanted to be able to take him on what I felt like would be a very realistic journey. um, Knowing the men and women that I worked with for almost 30 years and knowing their foibles and, uh, you know, their best and their worst, the people that trained me and the people I worked alongside and ultimately supervised, I wanted to put as much of that good and bad into John as I could to make him a realistic character. And as the series goes along, you see that change um, relationships and um, you know, his, his ability to deal with the alcoholism. So really by the the time the fourth book comes out within plain sight, John is now learning to live with sobriety. And, uh, and I think it's kind of a, hopefully a refreshing take. I mean, some, sometimes these series, you know, the character doesn't get better or or degrades into the other way of doing this. I wanted Byron to be able to try to have another shot at at life and still figure out how to control and be a good investigator. So really, that's that's what that's about.
2: So what, what do you consider your relationship with your character? Um, and I ask this in a way of some fiction writers, especially fiction writers, will say that they're like their children. They're like their family, friends. They have all these descriptions like this. And um, what what is it for you?
3: you no, know, I, I think it's almost a codependency, if that makes sense. Um, you know, especially after uh, I'm working on the fifth at this point, And if you spend that much time with characters that you made up, there's no question they become real to you. Um, you know, you spend sometimes the entire day with them in your head, even if you're not writing. They're still playing in the background. You're still working out scenes and that type of thing. So it's really I think obviously for them to exist, I have to sit down and write these books. Uh, but for me to, to be in the zone and to continue to be creative at this point until I find another character, uh, to, to do it for me there, I, I depend on them as much as they depend on me. So, um, if I've tried to write something else, um, I can almost feel the whole group of, of the Byron teams, you know, standing in the corner passing judgment that I'm not writing about them. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds goofy, but it's a, I think it's a real thing. You know? I mean, it's it's just I wake up in the morning and I want to write about these guys. So,
2: Are are, are you hearing voices in your head? <laughs>
3: <laughs> not, not quite that obvious, but it's there. They are still there whether I hear the voices or not. You know, it's definitely, uh, you know, even, even just attending to normal things during the day, you're constantly in those scenes. You're constantly thinking, you know, how would I react if I was this character? How would I react if I was that character? So you do spend a lot of your time pretending to be them, I think, as you, as you go about your day.
2: And do you find that you actually work out your scenes in your head or do you work them out? Some, some writers say that they work them out live. They actually get right into the scene and practice it out with their own physical bodies and get into it. And others say they, they do, do it all in their head. Where How do
3: you do it? No, for me, it's pretty much in my head. And I can I can do that at the weirdest times. I mean, when you sit down to write. Know, like a, a quickly paced dialogue or something I sit right down and, and I immediately know that I'm going to, I'm going to be there for a few pages doing this because I'm in the moment. I'm in the zone. Uh, but as far as working them out or coming up with ideas that I need to bridge scenes, generally I just need something that's repetitive. So it could be, you know, doing yard work, riding around on the tractor, or it could be going to the gym and using the elliptical. Uh, it's amazing when you're just doing something that's mindless, how easy these plot things are to work out. Whereas, you know, the alternative is sitting there staring at the screen and your fingers hovered above the keys and nothing's happening. Um, For me, a lot of times the best writing takes place when I'm actually not sitting in front of the computer.
4: Well, I'm wondering, um, you know, the stuff that we see on TV and sometimes in novels for police work, uh, procedurals, etc., A lot of that, you know, I've I've heard isn't really, you know, true or true police work. And I'm just wondering, um, uh, for for dramatization, how do you decide what you're going to uh, fictionalize and what you're going to keep um, uh, true to life uh, within your books?
3: Really, that's just a, I think I've just kind of gone on uh, experience. And then, you know, you try to guess what you're doing will will kind of straddle that line between, you know, being boring and, and being, uh, you know, exciting, but also realistic, you know, you can't write, you can't write to the, to the honest point of, you know, waiting a year for DNA results to come back. Cause nobody would read that book. <laughs> so I am forced to take a few liberties, you know, but, um, no, by and large, I think I want to be able to show, and I do show the reader, you know, the stresses of the job, uh, you know, investigating murder itself is probably the, the most stressful job there is because there are so many people depending upon you to to get it done and to get it right. Um, there's a lot of pressure to, to have the arrest right away. There's a lot of pressure to, you know, have the bad guy taken into custody so that everyone in the community can feel safe again and people can feel secure in their upper management roles, uh, you know, and take credit or whatever it is. Um, so there's a lot of that. Um, and I want to be able to put that in these books where I think it makes it more realistic for the reader to realize that there's a lot more going on. Like, I, you know, that sometimes in these fictional detective uh, books or, or movies or whatever it is that you know that you're looking at or reading, um, it's almost like the they don't have a life. And hmm. I, what I want to be able to show is that they, they do all have lives, but they're they're forced to put them on hold, um, no matter how bad things are at the moment, until the case is solved. So there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of struggling to uh, make, make these things that seem, you know, disconnected come together. Uh, it's, it's really tough knowing, I, I guess, and, and uh, hats off to all the family members of, of real police officers that, that do this, um, because they're the ones kind of holding the fort while the job gets done. And I, I think that's one of those things that, you know, they call the alcoholic cop or the divorced cop a trope but I think that's, that's very realistic. And I think that's a reason it is a trope in writing, because if you're writing real police officers, that's just part of the job, you know, putting your family or your friends in second place and, and dropping everything every time the phone rings to go work a case. uh, It's just the nature of the beast.
2: Yeah. I really got that. I read uh, Jeffrey Reinick's book and I got to know him. He uh, retired FBI and he did that. And I, I, I will say it's it's people people don't always realize how how hard it can be, um um. But I, so with this structured life that you've had, mm-hmm. this this um you know it was pretty regulated life in a sense, mm-hmm. uh being in law enforcement. So when you cut when it comes to writing, can you continue that? Can are you the type that can just sit down and go? Okay, well, I have nobody's in the house. I've got this time from two till four or two to six. I'm going to write or, or does it, does, do you have to be in a certain mood in order to do it?
3: No, I mean, it really depends. You know, if it's coming, if it's not going well, we're all various, we're all very good at finding things to (laughs) keep us distracted, you know, laundry and yard work and house repairs. Um, But when it is going well, no, that's really not, not an issue for me. Uh, I find that uh, if I'm, if I'm having an issue with a scene or something along those lines, I can still sit down for that time frame you mentioned, and maybe I start with editing something I just wrote. And a lot of times that will naturally progress into the next scene. Um, sometimes the writing itself or reading the writing makes what you were trying to do clearer. So I'm pretty focused on that. I guess I, I'm pretty good about doing that. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's as much about, you know, deadlines as your publisher gives you as it is about wanting to get the book done for my own satisfaction.
2: Right, right, and I wonder. So, have you got this? You say you, this is book four, and you're going to do book five here. Right. So, have have you kind of already decided about your main character or main people that you use in the book, um, like your detective Byron and stuff? Is is it kind of pre outlined? You kind of know what's going to happen in the end. It's just about writing to get there, or is it just totally by just by book and just doing it?
3: I'm, I'm probably more of a hybrid where I, you know, I do have some things thought out ahead of time. Um, you know, generally, I, over, I know what the overarching theme of the book is, if, if if you want to call it that. I know what it is I want to have happen. Um, and I'll, and most of the time, I will ar- already have the opening scene, that, that gotcha scene that I want to drag you into the story. Um, but how I get there, I tend to leave... Um, fairly loose, uh, you know, I usually have a pretty good idea of the direction I want to take and how I'd like the thing to end. But um, I don't, I don't write a real, uh, real detailed structure, because I think I feel like, you know, some of the best writing comes from, I have no idea where it comes from, you know, if that makes sense. Um, and, and if you pigeonhole yourself, I think, into a too structured format, and something that you've spent 60 pages writing, for me, I would be bored to death writing that book. Once I'd finally plotted out at every point, I wouldn't want to write the book because I've left nothing to chance. And so I kind of keep it loose. I'm I'm between a plotter and a pantser. I just feel like it's more fun to write if I don't know necessarily everything that's going to happen.
2: Yeah. Now, is each book going to stand on their own or or do you have to read them all?
3: No, they do. Uh, I intentionally write them so they'll stand alone because I'm one of the worst at finding a series right in the middle of a series, not realizing when I'm reading the writer for the first time that, that they've written a series. I just... I pick up a book and I realize after I finished it, Oh my God, this was the fifth one. So knowing, knowing that, I think we all probably do that, but knowing that I try to write them in such a way where I will hint at things that have occurred in other books, but not give it away so that you'll hopefully want to go read them.
2: Right now, um, someone that's never heard of you, which I find this hard to believe. (laughs) Uh, so as they come, if they come across you, uh, and and they were, t- they were only going to buy one book. Which mm-hmm. book would you suggest that they buy to kind of get to know
3: who you are as a writer? Well, you know, I think they all get, they all hopefully get better as, as the series goes on. So from that standpoint, and, and just looking at the reviews and type of thing, I guess Within Plain Sight would probably be the highest rated one to, to date and uh, won the most awards. But I think my favorite still, and and the one that has the most emotion attached to it, is is beyond the truth which is the third novel um that one is still uh, i have a i have a special place in my heart for that book so i think if i was going to recommend just one book uh, beyond the truth would be the one i would go to we
1: interrupt our programming this is a national emergency important details will follow are you prepared legacy food storage The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go
2: now to LegacyFoodStorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick,
1: go! The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or gag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries was four seventy-nine, now just two ninety-nine. morning, face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is uh, that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're in my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some.
0: Get 20% off IKEA Sultan mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really?
4: Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: I never win and tell.
4: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Look for Starbucks coffee in a grocery store near you, then sit back and enjoy the exceptional taste of Starbucks... At home. Now back to the show with Alan Dave. A hybrid, um, but when you when you're doing the uh, uh, seat of the pants type of writing, mm-hmm. um, has ha- have any of your characters kind of gone off the rails? Done anything to surprise you? Uh, has this, has the story gone any anyplace uh, unexpected that you 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 didn't really uh, uh, foresee a- as you were as you were uh, thinking about uh, how how the plot was going to unfold?
3: Yeah, that does tend to happen, and and sometimes it's just it's just me just you know in my my brain i start writing in some some direction i didn't imagine the story would go and sometimes it's it is the characters that drive it in that in that way you know i might try to write something or force something and after i've written it it doesn't feel honest like i know this character well enough even though every once in a while they do something outside of the norm it doesn't feel like them and so i'm i'm more apt to you know kind of let that character take the reins and if if they if it seems like my writing just wants to go in a direction different than what i had planned um i kind of go with that and see where it takes it uh some and most of the time that actually works out being a better idea than what i was trying to make happen
2: you know um Let's 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 get some good gossip out of here. So,
3: um,
2: now 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 the all the extra characters that you have in the book mm-hmm. and and people that supporting characters and stuff that you've written in, right. um Are are they people you know or do, you know people you've worked with? People you know you you've been at a coffee shop and you see a couple of people talking and you kind of pick up their characteristics. Do you are you doing that sort of thing um, for supporting characters or?
3: Oh yeah, or not? Oh yeah, no. You know? I, th- I think I think most writers, if they're being honest, will tell you they'll they suck up things like a sponge. I mean, we're we're always aware of what's going on around us, and and the things that I am not drawing on from my prior career are from from the things I deal with, you know, that I see or hear every day. Uh, still, so I, I I grab things wherever. I mean, if you be careful, if you see a writer sitting near you in a diner, because uh, gar- <laughs> yeah. guaranteed they're listening, they're paying attention. So. Um, yeah, you, you find good stuff everywhere. Um, some of my characters, I have um, taken pieces and bits and pieces of, of the people I worked with to to create a sort of a an amalgamation of, of, you know, the people I worked with to make a character. Sometimes they're just totally made up. I've really just sort of gone, you know, by the seat of my pants. And you, you I think you have to learn to trust your instincts when you do that. But um, yeah, for example, John's boss, uh, Marty LaRoyer, is really kind of a compilation of of three different um, lieutenants uh, that I worked for. Although my wife would say lieutenants whose lives I made miserable as a detective sergeant, but (laughs) (laughs) I I prefer to think of it the other way. So, but yeah, I think it's just fun. If you, if there's things about people you worked with that are quirky or, or telling or whatever it is, or add something to the story, even if it's a comedic value, um, I I think, you know, I, I would be crazy to waste that stuff. So I definitely grab it up.
2: So tell us who famous that you've <laughs> uh, give us give us some names here. We want to write this down. I can have them on the show next week right. and, and see see what they think. You know, come on, yeah. we're here to cause no. trouble.
3: You know what's is funny is that no one. I've never had anybody because people ask that and, and they're like, "Geez, was that so and so or is that so and so?" And you know, no one's ever come to me and said, "Hey, am I that jerk in your book?" You know, it's amazing. how that never, <laughs> no, never. Come.
2: Oh well, that, you see, you're doing it right. right. you've got <laughs> you You've done it right, then, right? Well, they're, 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 they're
3: afraid of my answer. You know. I don't know.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> well, either way, it's right. working out.
3: Right, right, true.
2: You know, uh, so when you when you see uh, television shows mm-hmm. or movies or Netflix and stuff, right. and they deal with this kind of mystery, crime, fiction sort of stuff, that's within modern error times so right is there anything that you think is done really well that that you just you just love or is there anything that you just can't stand that's done so badly that you can't believe people watch it?
3: <laughs> well we're, we're gonna have them on too <laughs> next week
2: yeah
3: I have a uh, when it comes to reading I mean there are obviously have some faves I think one of the people that does it very very well uh is Michael Conley I think the Bosch uh, series is really well done in it Believe it or not, I think it translated very well into into television, which I was surprised that it would do that well. I, I don't think I don't think if it was just a movie, it would it would work that well. But I think in the you know season-long format, I think it works very very well. Uh, and it's obvious that as a crime reporter, he was allowed a peek behind the curtain because he he gets the police thing dead on. Um, I think Tess Garrison does a great job. If anyone is familiar with the Rizzoli Isles series. Uh, the uh, her her medical examiner detective relationship, I think, works pretty well uh, and and again, is very realistic from the professional perspective. Um, you know, I always have an issue with law and order. <laughs> My wife loves that show and, and she's always telling me to shut up because I'm making fun of scenes or pulling apart things. and. You know, one of the, one of the things that I find the most um, unrealistic is the court procedure. Uh, You know, there's no one ever gets to rule on an objection and people are leading witnesses. And I'm like, my God, if, if police work was really like that, I wouldn't have retired. Yeah. You know?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of what they do. They, they have to direct it in a certain way to make it like. Right. They, they want an answer or they want something and it's kind of,
3: you know. Yeah. You got 45 minutes. That's it. You know?
2: Yeah, because normally court is so slow and delayed, and right. takes you know <laughs> takes takes forever. Right,
5: right.
2: You know, so you ever write a report on one of those things, you're in there for six months, and you're bored to tears right. most of the time. Right, but just True. just yeah, just saying. But um, influences, biggest influences for you, people that are you know, whether a writer or singer or movie or whatever it is, other cops.
3: Um, oh. I think probably uh I could I could say that um, there's probably been three major influences on me. Uh, uh, Joe Wamba when I was younger I read a lot um, and I I think that really, because it even means more to me now. You know, being another retired detective sergeant to have turned a career into to writing like uh, the two of us have. Um, I would say James Lee Burke uh, is right up there with. A, without question. Um, I, I read his books. I love his books. Um, and he's probably the the best writer at being able to take really gritty uh, noir scenes and stories, and, and yet somehow he still blends them poetically as if, you know, the, the, when he's describing, you know, uh, New Orleans and that the area down there, it's very poetic in how he does it. And it's it's kind of cool. It's like he's painted something nice on a dark canvas, if that makes sense. And then from my own personal experience, um, there's a writer named Kate Flora uh, that that splits her time uh, in between Maine and Massachusetts. And she, I met her while she was writing a true crime story back in 2001 about a a murder that I worked. And uh, she became my mentor when I retired. Um, I was brave enough to tell her I was trying to write. And uh, she took me under her wing. And and really, I think if it weren't for her, I probably wouldn't have gotten to the point where I finally got published.
2: What about me? (laughs)
3: <laughs>
2: you're supposed to mention the right. host's name. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Your books have been amazing. It's just you're... helped me a great deal. That's what you're supposed to say.
3: <laughs> well, you might make it into a future book, Alan. You never know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: I see that you've written uh, short fiction as well as uh, long. Uh, I know. Do you like uh, one format better than the other?
3: You know, from an instant gratification standpoint, which seems like where society is now, that we're all, everything is, you know, mm-hmm. clicking on likes and getting download instantly and all that other stuff. I think the short story really fills that uh, for me. I I can get a, a germ of an idea and sit down and if if the writing's going well, I can bang out a story in a day or two. You know, it still needs to be rewritten and reworked, work, but I usually get the story down completely in a couple of days. And, uh, you know, that's gratifying in that, you won't forget it. You can go back and work on it again later and fine tune it, but it's out mm-hmm. and it's, and it's out of your mind and it's done. Whereas a novel, you know, most of mine have taken me between, you know, a year to a year and a half between the inception and finishing the thing. So, uh, there's no instant gratification in that. And it's, it takes so much concentration to stay in a story like that, to finish it. Uh, it's a lot easier to write a 10 page yeah. story than a 400 page one, uh, without question.
2: Yeah, and the short the short reads do really well. People buy tons of them constantly. Yeah. that's what I find in in true crime anyway. Was yeah, you sell a lot of them. And um, so, do you like the, getting um, interaction with with people online, or you kind of avoid it? Do you Do you like having that social media thing going on?
3: You know, I I miss actually doing more in person events than you know than virtual. That was never really a thing uh, pre COVID. You know, I everywhere I went was either, you know, flying to a conference or driving to a, you know, a, a library or a bookstore in you know, somewhere in New England. And um, I did a lot of that. I mean, I was doing two or three of those uh, appearances a week uh, sometimes, when, especially right after a new book came out. And uh, to have that taken away was tough. So I think we've all kind of I think I think there's a place for uh zoom and crowdcast and those types of things now that that would never have existed previously but it's certainly not the same as as seeing person in person uh, gatherings you know seeing people and getting to chat with the readers and signing books and it's just more of a personal experience Um, I think zoom has its place and I'm I'm glad that that's there where I have maybe contacted readers I would not have met otherwise but yeah I'd rather do the in-person events I just think there's you know, it's like cutting an album for a year in the studio and then not getting to go on tour. You know, you don't want to talk to your fans by phone. You know, really what you want to do is go out and see them. And so for me, I, I miss that a lot. So I, hopefully that comes back in, in more, uh, in more uh, you know, head-on, face-on um, appearances once we get hopefully out of this. Uh, I definitely miss getting to, to see the readers. That's, that's a huge motivator to go back and finish the next book when you know there are people waiting for it.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's something about seeing people live and and interacting and stuff. It's it's kind of a good thing, and you know because people online can be mean, right? People can right. also be rude. Yeah. I, I I've just noticed lately, or lately, my whole life, I think people can be really, really, um, I don't know, just awful online.
3: Well, and I think things you things you say or do, you know, that way are, are also easily, you know, misinterpreted um, you know, you can, you can be texting back and forth with somebody you're close with, and it's real easy to to take something the wrong way because they're not there in person to explain it to you. Um, and I think that's another danger of not being face-to-face with people when you're, you know, at an event, if, if something comes up or is just taken the wrong way, it's real easy to sit down and hash it out and explain what you meant. But, You know, if they're the 90th person, you know, scrolling down the page, uh, you know, that looks like the Brady Bunch uh, intro and you don't actually see them. You don't know that you've offended somebody by saying the wrong thing or or that something you said was misinterpreted. So I think that's that's always a danger when it comes to that type of stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I I don't I don't know what the need is nowadays, too, because. Um, you know, you get a lot of people that dislike something or hate. Something. I, I I get it personal here too a lot of times for the show, mm-hmm. and and I don't quite get why people consistently write to you telling you how much they they hate you <laughs> or dislike <laughs> what you do. Right. And I kind of think, well, what? you know, there's a thousand other things to listen to. Just right. turn the channel. Right, right, I mean, right. I yeah, Maybe you know, they... there's this.
3: Maybe they love to hate you. That's why they keep doing it. I think there's
2: that in general, there's this real love to be unsatisfied or to be aggressive and just dislike. There's a lot of
3: that going on. I just seems to be trendy. Some people are happy being miserable. I don't think there's anything, you know, maybe the upside to that is that we've, if, if they hate the two of us, then we've, we've made them happy, I guess. Right. And so how you look at it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, that's kind of how I do now. I mean, there was a time because I'm, I'm a little bit older too and it was kind of a holy cow, like this is pretty serious. I, I'm, I for the CIA or something right. and I'm called called names like, Holy cow, these people are angry. But and now I'm realizing that it's just, it's just that. Yeah. Know, just yak, yak, yak. And they're on someone else tomorrow.
3: Right. Right. You know? so, right not that important well Um, you know there's always something to complain about you know we joke about that um you know you can find people you know these books are very realistically written so obviously there is a little vulgarity here and there between characters when they communicate and um some people have a huge problem with that And, you know, I get that, but at the same time, I'm trying to write realistic. And I think I always kind of scratch my head when I find out that they're more upset with uh, the F-bomb than they were with somebody getting their head cut off. You know, I never quite understood the the two, the correlation. (laughs) Makes me wonder if either my priorities are messed up or theirs are. I'm not sure which, but.
2: Yeah, you're just, you're just not there. You're not with it.
3: Yeah, you can't please Uh, everybody, you know, you do the best you can. I think if you please yourself and and there's anybody out there worth, you know, that wants to listen or wants to read, then we're doing something the right way.
2: Yeah, but, you know, I noticed on this this last book, Within Plain Sight, just on the Amazon, you've got 242 reviews, but they all look like they're five stars. So people are scared of you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what
1: it is. (laughs)
2: <laughs> they're not going to put even give you a four star here. So they're like, no. He will. He can check online. He's he's, he's part of the CIA. You know, come on.
3: If, something going. If on only here. it was that easy.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: so now, do you um, do you have a website? Do you have a place that you want fans to interact with you? Or, or uh, I you do.
3: Know, yeah. They can. Uh, you can find me at uh, brucerobertcaffin dot com. Um, Collins also has a Bruce Robert Coffin page. Um, for the Witness Impulse uh, mystery line. Um, You can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram, um, Amazon, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, Facebook, uh, because they limit you on the number of followers or friends you can have. So go to Bruce Robert Coffin, uh, the author page for me, and uh, give me a follow. And then also from my website uh, com. you can sign up uh for uh uh, to be on the email list as well so kind of keep you up to speed on what's going on
2: wow sending pictures too Um, (laughs) it's pretty it's pretty interesting so uh, so so for readers for people that are your fans and that know you Mm -hmm. um what do you think that would be very surprising for them to find out about you as in something you listen to or watch, or, you know, do you practice ballet or something that's <laughs> that your readers would be shocked. They'd be going, no, really?
3: You like, I was actually uh, a professional artist, uh, oil painting, uh, portraits and that type of thing while I was uh, working as a police officer. Um, yeah, I won a bunch of awards, did a lot of commission work and, uh, and I've given all that up to write. So <laughs> wow! actually one of the, oh, one of the pieces I was commissioned to do that I'm, that I'm most proud of probably was um, I did a, uh, it was a gift that I was commissioned to do for the FBI, uh, Boston division, Boston field office for the hundredth anniversary of the FBI. I did a, a large, a huge oil painting uh, of the first agent ever killed in a line of duty back in 1918. Um, and uh yeah, so that's still hanging in the in the office down in Boston today, which is kind of cool. Edwin Shanahan.
2: Wow, well that's amazing. that's amazing. That's great. Yep. That's your your artistic and stuff. Yep. But uh, you know that's that's pretty good. Um, uh, but I'm sure there's something more. But you've got to. He's not going to tell I us. He's it. cut us I off. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. Well, that's all right. <laughs> we'll get it. Uh, COVID. How was that? How I mean, I mean, we know it's bad, but I mean. Um, are you the type of person that, when something like COVID hit and some sort, there's a lot of stress going around and the community's kind of in turmoil? Um, does that affect the way you write or how you write?
3: It definitely made it harder. Um, I found writing itself didn't get more difficult. What was harder for me was concentration. Um, you know, I would find ideas that I liked and then give you an example. I mean, the the fifth Byron here. I've done. I've I've written well into you know, sometimes as much as half the book, and then hated the plot and started over. So there's been five different plot ideas for this fifth book, uh, and I never had that problem before. I think that's that's definitely a COVID-related issue. Um, to, to the earlier point, I was writing a lot of short stories. I was getting invites to be submitting to different anthologies, and I think three or four different short stories were published this year that I wrote and Uh, I had almost really given up writing the short story because I didn't want to, you know, take anything away from the novel. So uh, it it was it provided the opportunity to do that. But I think without COVID, I don't think that would have happened. So it's definitely been harder to concentrate. There's just so much craziness going on. You know, you almost have to shut yourself in from the world if you want to get the writing done.
2: Yeah, don't turn on the news right it's true it's true just right? stay away you know I just keep mine on me tv You know, watch the old shows <laughs> old westerns and no news you, know,
3: you wake up every day and, and you turn it on and uh, you know, I look at my wife and I'm like I write fiction I can't compete with this like this is just <laughs> crazy you know
2: yeah I say that to some of the writers too I was like it's crazy because you could write something and kind of go uh, people aren't going to believe that, but then right, right. What, half the stuff I see going on in the world, I just think, Holy cow. That's right. like, people, what really is that, yeah, you know? Yeah.
3: So if I, if I wrote that stuff, that's actually happening in real life, you know, yeah. my editor would never have allowed that to get by his desk, you know, yeah, a few years ago. they'd say And it now back it's and, norm. Yeah. Right.
2: They'd say it back and say, we have to put this in fantasy. Like, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing this stuff for? It's, um, what would what advice would you give to someone that has never or they're writing, but they're like you, they're in a job doing Mm -hmm. something like maybe, maybe not police, but they could be doing something and um, Mm -hmm. all of and but they want to write and they write, but they, they don't know what to do. What, what would be the big advice you would
3: tell them? You know, just, just do it. Um, I think you have to do it for the right reason. I I think you have to make sure your goals are in in the right order. Um, You know, we, every, Every writer wants to be published. I think that's sort of the holy grail you know that everybody wants to attain. But you know the reality is there's a lot of great writers out there that have not been published. Um, you know there's also some luck involved in this, so I think if you really want to be a writer and you really want to do that to yourself, um, enjoy the process. <laughs> you know enjoy the process uh, you know my My point that I make to people is that what Stephen King's written what i don't know say let's say eighty novels for the for the sake of argument. And you and I both know that he absolutely must love writing the process of writing, or he wouldn't do it because he doesn't need the money. He's been doing it forever, uh, close to 50 years at this point. And so do you honestly think that if, if all his contracts dried up tomorrow and nobody would publish him ever again, he would stop writing. So the motivation needs to be that you just love to write. You love to sit down and explore your imagination and, and play with the written word. Cause that's, that has to keep you going. If, if you're doing it for money or fame or any of those other things, the odds are stacked so far against you that that's not a reason to write. You have to actually love what you're doing. Um, and if not, then, you know, find some other pastime because it's, it's definitely a tough way to make a living.
2: Yeah, but, you know, Stephen King wants to see write those romance or... <laughs> <laughs> love love novels or whatever. You're I don't. Right. I don't. Right, I don't right. get into any of that stuff. So I don't. we just had one of his uh, co-writers, that Richard Chismar, I think that's his. Yeah, uh-huh. that? he's pretty pretty nice guy. But uh, Stephen King, yeah. come on. I mean, that's yeah. Yep. Right. Do you ever look back at your your earliest works or your early manuscripts or even the first published books, and kind of reread them and kind of go, wow, um, I'd write that differently.
3: Well. You know, I'm afraid to go back and read the first couple at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think you, you know, like I say, I think we all hope that our work gets better as it goes on or that it's better received. Uh, I think if you do this all the time, I don't think you can, it's like anything. I don't think you can help, but get better. Um, you're not just doing the same thing over and over again. You know, you're actually trying to improve upon what you do and um, the storytelling hopefully gets better. The writing itself gets better um i i I don't think it's healthy to go back and look at that other stuff really you know
2: yeah i'm scared to you know i just had a show hln and did that one my very first book that i wrote and i thought oh my god that's the worst book ever and the guy's holding it up you know and showing it. i'm thinking oh no it's terrible people are gonna think you're the worst writer and then and then they're like yeah it's just a great book and it's like oh my god it's terrible
3: but, right. you know, what can you but do? But it's the one that – but it set us on the path, right? I mean, the, mm. that first book has to be the one that set you on the path. So yeah. right or wrong, it was it was good enough, and, and yeah. it started the ball rolling. So.
2: Oh, and it's probably not as bad as I see it, and it's probably not as good as some people see it. It's just kind of rare, you know, and it's right, You know, and, just, right. you know, and yeah. plus, I think as a writer, you can look back at something and kind of go, oh, I that's not correct, or I should have done right. this, right? <laughs> you know, but at the time, you didn't know it, so –
3: Well, I remember the public readings doing that and you'd pick a section and then as you're standing up in front of a group of people and reading a a spot that you formally liked, as you're doing it, you get tripped up because you're reading a sentence and you think, why the hell did I ever write it like that? You know, what was I thinking? (laughs) That's horrible, you know. So, yeah, I definitely can experience that. Yeah, Yeah.
2: and you're standing in front of the crowd and go, this guy can't write. And you (laughs) put put the book down and walk out. Right. That's it. Yeah, this is horrible. Yeah, don't read this garbage. (laughs) Let's get something
3: else up here. It's Uh, true.
2: Well, so... (laughs) So coffin is that really the is that a writer name or is that your real name?
3: It, no, it really is. Wow. Um, <laughs> I, I'm actually related to Robert P. Tristram Coffin and uh uh, the you know, Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, poet, and uh, with none of that apparently rubbed off on me. But, uh, yeah, no, it was funny. That, that last name was great for marketing mystery novels. It was never a uh, never an advantage in my prior career, but it, it works out well now. No, so. no Detective yeah. Coffin, Seer to See You. <laughs> right,
2: right. Oh, great. That is, that's not a good thing. That's not, no, no. not going to turn out well. Well, <laughs> well it's certainly been a pleasure and uh the book we've been talking about is within plain sight and it's a detective byron mystery john byron right. novel number four right. make that the title any longer and right. uh the guest was the author and that's bruce robert coffin thanks for being here
3: thank you guys so much for having me on have a great holiday you too thanks bruce
4: tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service go to our website and look for the martino movie
3: reviews to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows from our archive
5: please go to
3: www.houseofmysteryradio.com
5: show is over for now was it as good for you as it was for me
0: well good night this has been a production
4: of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. KCAA This is Judge Herb Dodell, and our show is called For the People. It's available every Monday at 4 o'clock from 4 to 5, we'll be talking about all kinds of things pertaining to the law and how it really works from the inside as opposed to the outside. So tune in and learn all you need to know about the legal system and how it works.
5: Call 800-518-2281, 800-518-2281. Find out if you're eligible for new benefits like meal and prescription delivery, in-home aids, and telemedicine. Some plans may have a $0 monthly premium or 0 copays for big out-of-pocket savings. Not all Medicare Advantage plans are alike. The new plans have more benefits for many people. Call 800-518-2281, 800-518-2281, 800 518 Two two eight one. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be. Yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author and guys guy Robert Manny, is coming to KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts and shares his insights on building a world where men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio. Better men, better world. Did you know here at KCAA 1050
2: AM that we developed an app for all your Android devices? We're talking about
4: your smartphone, your tablets, you name it. You have an Android format, you can take KCAA with you everywhere you go. We're talking about our audio stream, our
5: video stream, and even our podcast. Go to KCAAExpress.com.
2: That's KCAAExpress.com
5: kcaaexpress.com. K-C-A-A.
3: Del Wamsley here. The first thing you're going to have to learn is that until you stop expecting our politicians or anyone else to change your life, your life isn't going to change. The only person who can change your life is you, but you need to know how. Listen to my
1: show, the Del Walmsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM FM and 106.5 FM, the stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, K292 FQ Riverside, and K293 CF Moreno Valley. If you find yourself in need of legal representation, it can be a very stressful time in your life.
4: And Mike... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?